You are listening to the Collegiate Ministries Podcast, where we discuss what just, vibrant, and inclusive campus ministries can look like in the 21st century. My name is Derek Scott III. I'm the Executive Director of Campus City Wesley Foundation in Jacksonville, Florida. And I'm Rich Havard, the pastor of the Inclusive Collective in Chicago, Illinois. We are your co-hosts for this season. Let's reimagine campus ministry together. Uh, Hello to our listeners and welcome to this episode of Collegiate Ministries podcast. Today we're discussing how campus ministries can scale and grow and be more faithful when they have the right forms of support, innovative strategies for funding, leadership, and organization. On the surface, this may not be the sexiest topic we cover on the podcast, but it is vital to making ministry happen. And we think it can be a little sexy too. So today we'll be discussing how to build support systems during this season in the midst of a pandemic and in a particular grievous moment concerning racism in our country and the killing of black people by the police. So we're super excited to have two friends, uh, folks who we believe can really speak into this conversation, uh, Latricia Scriven and Mike Bachman. Uh, they're two United Methodist pastors, different contexts, uh, but with great experience in leading ministries to success. So I want to welcome Latricia and Mike. Thanks for joining us, guys. Um, y'all doing all right? Fabulous. <laughs> and forgive me, I said, guys, and I, I shouldn't have Said that so I just apologize now. Thanks for joining us, friends. Uh, we'd love for you both to just sort of talk to us. Um, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're serving right now, what you're working on, uh, your social location uh, as well. So, uh, Latricia, why don't we start with you, um, and then we'll go to Mike. Okay, so I am Latricia Edwards Scriven. Um, I am the pastor director of FAMU, Wesley Foundation, Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University. And I also have the privilege of serving as a pastor of a local church here in Tallahassee, New Life United Methodist Church, where there's always new hope for a new beginning. (laughs) And so pretty much what we're working on is trying to make it through COVID-19. Trying to make it through our challenges with racism, trying to make it through Black men getting shot in the street and all that that means for our students here in Tallahassee and the emotions that they're carrying that they cannot quite process. And so it's hard to say beyond that, Derek. I would love to say how we're doing all of this magnificent planning for the fall semester. That's kind of happening right in our minds. But the reality of the situation um, exacerbated by two homicides recently, one that definitely intersects our student body and student population and FAMU Wesley in particular. Um, We're working on being emotionally whole. How about that? No, this is so real. And again, uh, Pastor, I just appreciate you being willing to join us in the midst of all of that, because I do believe that your perspective specifically right now will resonate with folks listening who may not be in the same exact situation you're in, but are adjacent and experiencing very similar uh, emotions um, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, moments right now. So thank you yes. for being a part of this episode. How about you, Mike? Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, my friend. 
Yeah, so my name is Mike Bachman. I am the uh, executive director, founding pastor, community curator, pick a title, uh, really for Union Coffee. We are a nonprofit coffee shop in Dallas, Texas, um, started by the United Methodist Church um, as an alternative new church start. Uh, we initially operated very close by to SMU's campus here in Dallas and uh, about a year ago relocated to a different location in um, the Oaklawn neighborhood, which is affectionately known sometimes as the Gaberhood as well, um, and uh, has been a neighborhood of sanctuary for different threatened populations for more than a century um, in, in various ways. And that's a big part of what drew us to this neighborhood and one of the things I love about being in the Oaklawn neighborhood. Um, yeah, and then we're, you know, <laughs> trying to figure out, you know, sometimes we have this advantage because we are set up in different worlds, right? We operate a coffee shop, which functions like a business. We operate as a nonprofit in some ways because a lot of our programming is non-religious. We operate as a church. Um, and I feel like right now in the midst of COVID realities, we are kind of like facing the short end of the stick on all three of those worlds um, and trying to figure out how it is that we navigate that. Um, all the while figuring out what is our role to play as one of the unique organizations that has a foothold in so many different sectors of Dallas. Um, how can we be a connecting site? How can we leverage our relationships to try to be a part of positive social movements that are taking place right now? Um, and how to do that too as um, an entity that historically has been a pretty much white space but has been intentionally growing outside of that over the past um, three years uh, who, you know, we're still on the way. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, what's our role to play in kind of bringing some other white spaces and white churches along uh, for the ride who are now finally like, Oh, we should do something about this racism. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Way cool. Thanks, Mike. Um, really grateful that you join us uh, on this episode. So I want to actually start with Latricia. And um, what, I, what I'd love to hear is a little bit about sort of your experience um, with denominational support. And, um, and you know, in the past, uh, when we thought about campus ministry, at least in the United Methodist context, we've immediately gone to how the denomination is going to invest in the next generation. And in many ways, we still get that, but that funding is decreasing. And then we have just the, the reality that in the past, that funding, those opportunities have not always been equal in relation to certain contexts in relation to, we can say out loud, race. Um, but sometimes even specific campuses um, in relation to each other. And so can you talk a little bit, Latricia, just your experience with the denominational funding and sort of, you know, and I've had this really cool opportunity to, walk, to watch um, you take that reality and still lead a ministry to success. And so maybe kind of respond to both of those a little bit, sort of your experience and how you've worked with what you've been given to lead to a successful ministry. Yes. So let me just say first that um, I am blessed. We are blessed to have had incredible denominational support. In particular, as I have compared it to people in other annual conferences, as we share stories, I realized how very blessed we are in general. 
When mm-hmm. I started at FAMU Wesley, um, there was no Wesley Foundation. And so we had to relaunch. And I'm not going to lie, in the beginning, the relaunch was tough because at that time, the finances were being figured out. And so we started actually out of my husband and I funding um, our campus ministry activities and Mm. then being reimbursed by the conference. Um, So that was a little bit tougher. A lot of people did not share that experience. Um, However, gratefully, we were able to make it happen. We relaunched successfully. Things were amazing. Um, Since then, I want to say that we could not exist without the support of the denomination. Mm -hmm. Um, Because our conference gives us grants to fund a portion of our budgets, that is so very helpful. And then the other parts of our budgets come from student contributions, which everybody knows is quite minimal, if Mm -hmm. at all, sometimes. Although our student leaders do commit to 10 bucks a month, it adds up, it's great, it's magnificent. But also um, the support of the churches around and we try to make sure we stay in front of the churches, share our story as much as possible. And that has been helpful when it comes to funding. Another thing um, for us was that we had the honor, the privilege of being a part of the Bishop's offering a year ago as part of our relaunching efforts. And that was key because We serve a population of students where space has been a very big issue. And so that money has allowed us to begin thinking about what does space looks like. We have had to literally worship outside, have prayer outside, which is great, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's a witness to the community. And it's also awesome when you can come inside out of the rain and do some planning for ministry. And so I'm deeply aware of how funding is a challenge, especially moving forward. And so I can talk about some of our vision and plans for, um, yeah, for for being entrepreneurs, right? Okay, in the midst of all of this. So what I realized is as funding dwindles, um, which is inevitable, it was important to me that we create a ministry that becomes self-sufficient. And so in the process of looking for space, we were just able to purchase two pieces of property, very old. You got to see the vision of the Lord beyond what is right in front of you. Um, But one is a small house where we can meet. And the other is a fourplex where students will not live for free. They will live in the Christian community and they will pay rent and the rent that they pay will allow us to fund the campus ministry. And so I'm grateful for that because that means that we won't have to um, focus solely on what is given to us from the outside. And we all see what's happening right now with COVID and with employment and with changes in our United Methodist denomination that may Mm -hmm. be coming and we don't know what fiscal realities will be, I am grateful because I see the vision of um, being self-sufficient. And that's one of the things that's very, very important to me. Wow. I mean, there's, 
Oh, so much I want to drill down. Mike, go on and come in. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, I, I think on the one hand, I want to totally celebrate because I live in that same space of social enterprise. And I think mm-hmm. that social enterprise is one of those things that we should be diving 100% into as old funding models of denominationalism fall away. Right. And not just campus ministries, though certainly campus ministries are part of that. Every con- Most congregations should be looking at that. And, and the reality is that we have a long history of that within the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's important, though, too, to talk about the difference between a side hustle and a true social enterprise. Mm-hmm. Right. So like Paul, for all of his tent making brilliance, right, like that's a side hustle. The fact that he made tents had nothing to do with his ministry, did not develop virtues of Christian discipleship. Right. But so we see in the monastic movement that you have these monks who are amazing at making cheese or beer or whatever the case might be. But then they would use that process of making cheese into a tool for discipleship for the novitiates, for those who are learning how, like, we'll teach you how to make cheese. And then teaching you how to make cheese, you will learn how to follow Jesus. Right. Like, they fully incorporated into its ministry. And those are the kind of social enterprises I think the church should truly be chasing after. Um, and that's been one of my favorite things with working. You know, running a coffee shop is figuring out how does coffee and hospitality in and of itself act as ministry. That's good. Yes. Oh, I was just going to say, as I work with and, and have been doing some consulting and coaching with other churches, how it is that they develop alternative revenue streams that actually fuel the ministry itself. Well, that's great. Go ahead, Latricia. What were you going to say? Yeah, I like that, Mike, um, because as we're thinking about... Um, paying rent and all of that. It is so relevant specifically to young adulthood and campus ministry and what it means to develop community, um, kind of like the early church, right? They existed in community with each other. Um, And it reminded me actually, so up above my head, one of the fundraisers we have and that will extend for a little period is this y'all can't see. I said up above my head, but you can't see. But I, I thought you were talking about Jesus. You got a yes. Jesus painting behind yeah, yeah, yeah. you. Is that... It's not just Jesus, Mike. Man, this is a laughing black Jesus. <laughs> Come through. It looks. Yes. It's oh. yeah. Yes. 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 He is. Relevance to our community and to the struggle and what it means to be black in America. Crowns of thorns placed on your head, not by yourself, but by the and to still possess a level of joy that no one can steal or take. And so he has become also sort of a representative of our campus ministry and who we are. And so we sell canvases of him as sort of a fundraiser, right? But also as a ministry opportunity to change the paradigm and shift the icon of what it means theologically to have this Jesus mm, to yeah. be looked upon. So I appreciate those things, Mike. It's good. I, I think, too, it might be worth naming um, how dumb the system has been. Uh, <laughs> and and <laughs> uh, Because, I mean, so much of, especially as I swim in both nonprofit and church circles, I've come to realize that the whole funding system for nonprofits is, is pretty broken. Um, And we can look at that broken from a sustainability perspective, certainly broken from an equity perspective. Um, But if we start thinking about even just like leaving, being a poor steward of what we have, I feel like when it comes to campus ministry and ministries like Union, which is primarily engaging folks in their 20s, um, the the church has has been really dumb 
because we're a part of a denominational structure, which should give us the advantage of being a part of a much larger body, right? There is no corporation in America the size of the United Methodist Church that doesn't intentionally lose money on developing customers in their late teens and in their 20s, right? Like they spend way more marketing dollars in those places and they actually get back from those folks because if they can establish trends patterns at that point in a human being's life, they know they have that customer for decades to come. Um, so if we apply that same logic into the church, right, the church should be overwhelmingly eager to lose money on campus ministry and on ministry with emerging uh, adults so that we are playing a role in their life as they're setting these patterns for the rest of, of their journey, right? And so like one of the ways that I kind of illuminate with that when I lead some workshops is I talk about like, look, which is of greater value to the church just strictly financially, ignore everything else, just financially, Right. The grad student who is giving $50 a month to the campus ministry that they're a part of, uh, right, $600 a year, or a 63-year-old who's giving $15,000 a year um, as, as a part of their tithe. And, you know, at first glance, it seems like the $15,000, but the real reality is, is that if we are training someone who is in their 20s, who will eventually be making more money into practices of giving, even if it's a small amount, even if it's that $10 a month that you mentioned your students give, right? Like that, that is of way more long-term financial value to the Methodist church. So every, every congregation should be clamoring to put money in a campus ministry that is training its students to be donors to the church. Mm. It's just strictly from a perspective of logic. And yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> and not, <laughs> but it's not, and not, just, not just donors, because that's part of it. Donors and those who will then commit to engaging in a certain level of ministry yes. right, within the denomination. I think about the um, population that I serve. I'm at an HBCU, Historically Black College and University. And to be frank, many of my students come in not knowing what the heck a United Methodist Church is. They've heard of AMEs, even CMEs, Baptists, but what's the United Methodist Church, right? And then when they finally do see who we are, sometimes they've even thought, oh, this is like white space. And to be able to serve in a place they're, where... They're not wrong. They're not <laughs> <laughs> to be able... Oh to serve in a place where we are introducing students, right, to the United Methodist tradition and then um, immersing them in our theological perspective and sending yes. them out. Right? I'm celebrating my first student, our first student who came in having not been a part of any church, found a call within campus ministry served as an intern at a church is now not only planning to enter ministry in the United Methodist Church, but mm -hmm. just got a position as a youth pastor at a church in Virginia, mm, making yep. more money than me, but I'm not salty. Um, where he's right? <laughs> right? Right? Oh. <laughs> where he gets to serve. <laughs> Now, here's the thing, too, though, and it sounds like you do it well, and I know Union does this, and there are other campus ministries that certainly do this well. Um, but the flip side of that whole thing that I proposed 
is a, that you know some bishops or others would push back on is that there has to be then a commitment on the part of the campus ministry to actually build a sense of um, love for the Methodist tradition um, as well as those practices of giving. Because the reality is a lot of campus ministers don't take the time to do that, which right. not only I think hurts the long-term health of the denomination, but also hurts the long-term health of that congreg- of that campus ministry, right? Because campus ministries, I mean, you've got, you have a built-in donor base of all of your alumni. Uh, like when you started literature, you didn't have that at all because there were no alumni, no. right? But you're building that. <laughs> you're going to have a built-in donor base of people who are going to look back and say, my life is better because I was a part of that campus ministry and I can't deny it. I should be helping make sure that happens for others, right? And if we develop those practices, even if it's at $10 a month, hmm. while they're a student and they have zero money, then when they actually, you know, like, to intentionally have a conversation with graduating seniors and say, you, y'all are getting jobs and some of you are getting paid more than me. Like, let's be honest. Um, do you feel like this congregation that God has done things for you through the existence of this Wesley Foundation? Um, now be a good steward of what God is giving you in this next step in your life. Make sure that happens for others. Mm. Yes. And we're always afraid to have those conversations as pastors um, for all sorts of reasons, but we have to. It's a matter of discipleship. It's a matter of sustainability. Um, and, and it's a matter of stewardship. Yeah. yeah. And presenting it as an opportunity, you get to give into this space, right? You get to do it so that others can reap the benefits that you've reaped as well. You get to do it. this conversation it's so rich um about particularly around fresh ways of thinking about this right and not just sort of like old um, ways that that don't work anymore and they're outdated um and i also want to put up derek let's um name uh, mike and latricia to be the creators of campus ministry budgets across the um, united methodist connection i i um, am i am ready to go to general conference and <laughs> and make that motion so yes. we're gonna great. Do that. yeah great um but i also love what you're saying mike around like um if we're going to say this around investing and not divesting from campus ministries, we need to be able to say, well, here's the fruit, right? Like, here's what we're doing. Here's what's actually happening. Because in a lot of ways, campus ministry has often been known. And we've had to fight this in this conference and, and people have really come on board. But to say, hey, we're actually doing work. I'm not just sitting here twiddling my thumbs, um, you know, hoping a couple people come um, see me, but we're doing real ministry. And so um, I think it's a both and approach is really important. Um, I want to shift the conversation a little bit at this point to talking about um, staffing and leadership structures. Um, Derek and I, we're working on a primer basically for what campus ministry can look like for today. And we're going to be talking a little bit about um, uh, staffing and leadership and how those are key to creating um, vibrant and just and equitable campus ministries. So what are some creative approaches to um, staffing and leadership and board development um, that you all have experimented with or seen um, and how do you uh, recommend that campus ministries think about leadership structures, especially with our current reality? Um, Mike, I'd love to hear um, from you about that. 
Um, well, I think one of the most important things when it comes to leadership structures um, is that uh, you have to put invisible leadership, who it is that you want reflected in the campus ministries, right? Like you can't say we're going to develop a diverse campus ministry and everyone on staff is white. Um, or, uh, you know, you can't say that like, um, we want to produce a campus ministry that connects with students who have never been uh, connected to the church before without having some critical people in leadership who are like, yeah, I'm not so sure what I think about Jesus, right? Like you have to, <laughs> who we put in leadership is who we will have. Um, and I think that goes both in terms of staffing and in terms of key volunteer leadership roles. Um, so that's one of the first things that, that I've just kind of come to accept. Uh, and I think I learned that lesson from watching a lot of churches that wanted to start ministries for young people. Like, we're going to have a ministry that will bring in the young adults. And who organizes that new ministry? It's, it's a bunch of boomers who like to wear jeans and already love Jesus. And, you know, guess who comes to that worship gathering? A bunch of boomers who like to wear jeans and already love Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with boomers like to wear jeans they're delightful right but um the folks that you put in leadership is, is who are ultimately going to be a part of your ministry and so i think that's one of the first principles i hold to right yeah well trisha what are your thoughts about about leadership and structure and, and staff and how you do that at famu yeah so can't tell you much about staffing because we don't have any um but <laughs> but we are working towards that, actually. We're at the stage where we can get, you know, an administrative person to help. I do have at least a person that um, helps with the worship planning and worship team. That said, one of our biggest things has been leadership development. And for me, um, I let the leaders lead. I tell them that I'm here. I'm the pastor. I'm the director. This belongs to you. And so I really give the reins over to them and I just kind of guide to make sure they're not doing anything silly, which sometimes does happen. Um, but I let them do it. And so what we determined worked for us and works for us and we're still working through, we have a couple of things. One, um, in the book of discipline, there was kind of this worship outreach witness. And so we separated into worship our wow teams worship, outreach, and witness. And we have the chairperson of each group. So our because we don't have paid staff, we have to rely on them to make things happen. So the worship coordinator, the student who coordinates the outreach um, efforts outside of the FAMU community, and the witness person who coordinates those witnessing efforts inside of the community. And those are the things that allow us be visible and to do ministry both on the campus and outside of the campus and into the community. The other thing we have so that we can ensure that those who are coming are not simply serving, but are also being spiritually fed and have a level of accountability right outside of just serving is we developed family groups. I'm so excited because that's a little bit newer for us. So kind of y'all small groups, you know, people call them small groups, all kind of things, family groups, we call them family groups. And so each family group has um, two people, co-chairs, who check in to make sure that things are going okay, that um, do certain activities. And that's been particularly important now that everything is sort of virtual. How's your family group doing? Have you checked in? And that gives people a sense of community outside of just the larger group, right? And then the families form communities. 
together. And so that's been working for us, except when COVID didn't want us to be great. So we're <laughs> looking forward to seeing how that works even better when we're able to come back. Right. Go ahead, Mike. I was just going to say, add on if, you know, if I were to design, start over with union, um, or if I were to advise campus ministries out there, uh, I think, you know, your first hire for the vast majority of campus ministries obviously should be like you know, the campus minister. Um, but the second, the second hire, gosh, I, I wouldn't be hunting an admin assistant. I wouldn't be hunting uh, a small groups director. I think the thing I would be hunting is a really good communications director, right? Someone who's got graphic design skills, someone who can put together a video for you on a regular basis, someone who can, you know, shadow and be a part of planning meetings with key volunteers and then walk out of the room and know how to communicate to everyone in that campus ministry what's going on and what's going to happen as a result of it. Um, Because I feel like that communications role will make a world of difference in fundraising. It'll make a world of difference in attendance and it'll make a world of difference in the things that generally speaking, pastors are pretty terrible at. Um, and uh, so I think of that, you know, from where I sit, if I had, and, and when I'm looking around at you, I'm like, yeah, the next hire, I really, I really need to get money to hire like a full-time communications person. Right. Um, Remember, Mike, you told me, uh, I think this is right. Whenever you started Union, you knew that a big piece of your ministry was going to be coffee. And, and, but you didn't know a ton about how to make really good coffee, how to run a coffee shop. And so your, your, your second hire besides you was, I think, uh, and I quote, a, a kick-ass coffee shop manager. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> spot on. Yeah, absolutely. Because seminary didn't teach me how to do that. And, uh, and I don't have time to do both. Um, <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. Totally. So thank you both for that collection of, of both hard and soft skills, right? Things like fiscal management and fundraising, but also relational skills, community organizing kinds of skills. Those are also key to keep in our, in our, in our toolkit and to embody as we're doing this work. So for our closing thought, I'm going to um, read a quote from a book called Another Way that's by Stephen Lewis and Matthew Williams and Dory Baker, who are work for the Forum for Theological Exploration. And I'm going to read a quote and then um, ask a, a question out of it about some next steps people can take um, that, that for our folks who are listening. So here's the quote. New possibilities often arrive in grand visions. We imagine alternatives as expansive portraits of a desirable future. Yet bringing those colorful worlds into being takes place one brushstroke at a time. Grand alternatives require attention to granular details. And it ends like this. We're often overwhelmed in our attempts to facilitate change because we fail to shrink the task. Failure to attend to the next proximal action can lead to burnout if our passion overwhelms our capacity to enact the vision of the change we seek. So um, Mike and Latricia, and Latricia, I'd love to start with you. Um, what is, in, in a sort of tweetable format, so w- to campus ministers listening who know that school is going to start once this podcast is, is released in just a month or six weeks, um, what is a, a, a one next step that you would suggest that campus ministers take to, to create the kinds of support systems we've been talking about today? Rich man, that's so hard. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And the reason why I think it's difficult, maybe Mike will be so much better at this tweetable thing. I just got on Twitter a week ago. So there you go. That's my out. The reason why I think it's so difficult is because I think it's incredibly contextual. Mm. 
And I am a professor of mathematics by training. Every math, not problem, but exercise begins by being solved with the end in mind, but the next step in front of me. And every single math exercise is different from the next, right? So if it's calculus, there's a certain way I'm going to approach it. If it's geometry, there's a certain way I'm going to approach it. If it's trigonometry, you know, it, it just depends contextually. And so I would say each individual has to figure out their next step according to the vision that has been presented before them and not be afraid to just take the step, but it's so contextual. Mm. And Mike may have a better answer, <laughs> but that's the mathematician yeah. in me. That's that a says good you one, have though. to figure out what's in your heart and the kind of math exercise mm. that is before you, because the exercise, oh, I got it. The exercise will speak the next step. I love it. The exercise the vision will speak the next will step. Speak the next step. So have that. the vision and allow it to speak to you the next step and then the courage to move. Amen. She's preaching now. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, what do you got for us? There's this great line in uh, Mark that I stumbled upon not that long ago. And, and I, I feel like I've read the Bible before, but this one I feel like I had never read before. I don't know. And, and it talks about, it's right after the parable of the sower. And, this, uh, and it says, you know, once there's this guy who planted a seed and went to sleep, and, and as time went on, the seed sprouted out roots and a shoot and came to the top. The man wondered at the mystery of how that all happened. Um, for the earth produces of itself. And, and I love that line, for the earth produces of itself. Mm. Because there's this ecosystem that moves towards life and growth. And so that, for me, if we're going to talk about structures um, for successful campus ministry, I want to create a structure, uh, an ecosystem that, that naturally moves towards growth in life. Um, even if we don't know ultimately what fruit is going to sprout out of whatever seed is planted. Um, because the students who are going to show up at the campus, and here's the contextual element, like we, don't, we don't know what seed they have to plant. We don't know what DNA has, has come uh, be a part of them. We don't know what their experiences are. But if we can create an ecosystem that bends towards life and growth, then, man, we can have a pretty kick-ass garden. And um, I think that's what I want to shoot for. Oh, my goodness. Okay, Latricia, Mike, y'all, there's I, I, the, the, the show notes for this one are just going to be crazy. Uh, just so much good that y'all just gave us. So much good perspective. We don't have time to... Oh, I wish we did, though. But thank you so, so much for being a part of this episode because I really do believe that um, these thoughts, these ideas are really going to be helpful for folks in campus ministry navigating what uh, the fall semester in the midst of COVID looks like. And even as we continue to work towards racial equality in this country, I think that um, these these ideas and these 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 thoughts are really going to be helpful. So thank you both so much for joining us this afternoon. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much, y'all. Thanks. 
Collegiate Ministries podcast is a resource presented by collegiateministries.com and it's funded by the Young Clergy Initiative of the United Methodist Church. Production support is provided by Wesley's Revival. For more information on building just, vibrant, and inclusive ministries for college-aged young adults, visit collegiateministries.com.